Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Utah's best athletes count on flexibility, speed, strength. And the Jazz pick up their 22nd assist. So they count on University of Utah help. Brielle Soleil puts this game away. And so can you. Leading doctors, a world-class environment, award-winning innovation, care to be great. 14 unanswered by the Utes. University of Utah Health, caring for Utah's best and yours. Schedule your appointment now at uofuhealth.org slash care to be great. You're locked on to Hans Olsen and Scotty Chick. Chick, Chick. That's right, yeah! On 97.5, KSL Sports Zone. Welcome on back. You're listening to 97.5, the KSL Sports Zone. Hans Olsen, Scott Gerard, All-Star Weekend is upon us. We're just outside Vivint Arena. And I know that uh, hey, a lot of people have taken us up on this offer. We have freezers full of ice cream upstairs, and we brought it down in the cooler. And if you want to come by, even though it's near freezing, grab yourself some ice cream. Do it. We'll, we'll, Do we'll it. hook you up. Howard, did you eat uh, ice cream yet? Uh, no, but frankly, it's balmy out by Salt Lake standards <laughs> yeah. in February, right? Like, I was, I thought I was going to, my face was going to crack walking back to my hotel last night at midnight. But, uh, no, this is great. This is, you know, sun's Beautiful. out. It's gorgeous. Yeah. Howard Beck joins us and uh, longtime NBA writer. You've seen and done it all and uh, appreciate you carving out a few moments for us. I know we kind of get callous to big events and things like that, but uh, is there something special for All-Star Games for you? Is there just uh, another assignment? or how, how, What are your emotions coming into games like this? It's my 26th year. I'm, I'm callous, man. Nah, I love I it. Yep. Know. Um, no, listen, there is, there's always something about All-Star Weekend that has a little bit different buzz to it. The second you get to the airport and there's, like, all the, the NBA decals everywhere and every airport that, you know, every city that we're going to is, of course, now transformed into just a chaotic mob of people. And the, you feel the buzz the second you get there. And I always make a distinction between, like, when the All-Star Game is in a place like New York, which is my home market, or Chicago, versus, like, Salt Lake or Charlotte. When we're at this, in the, the, the kind of smaller towns, and it takes over downtown, and so everybody you see on the street is either affiliated with the NBA or somehow part of the weekend, or fans who have come in to celebrate it, and so you, it's it's a rare thing when when the NBA just kind of like okay, this is now like camp NBA for yeah. a couple of days, so it's 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 fun. Plus, for me, you know, like I just had ten minutes. I wish I could have had longer with Carl Malone. For my podcast, I hadn't seen Carl literally since the night that the Pistons eliminated the Lakers in 2004 when I was covering the Lakers for the LA Daily News. And I remember Carl in tears in the locker room that night because that was his last best chance and he knew it. And um, so for me as as a reporter and as somebody who's been around the NBA a long time, there's just a lot of people to see, and it's it's fun on a personal level. Um, you know, all the other stuff going on, notwithstanding. So I have the conversation with Carl go. It was great. Like he's he's in a very, you know, reflective mood uh, right now and uh, place in his life. He's intentionally been away from, you know, the league, the players, the everybody that he that you know was his community. Right? You, beca- you when you're in the NBA, especially as long as he was, it, it is your community. 
there are rivalries. There are people you like and don't like and everything else. But it is kind of this, I, I hate to get hokey as a you know seasoned, cynical journalist, but it is this extended family. And Carl feels, I think, a great deal of, of remorse of, over having kind of separated himself so much, so extremely from this family. And he just seems very grateful to be back in this 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 environment and seeing people and reconnecting with people um he even gave me a nice hug that was, it was unexpected but like, literally i had not seen him like the, he was emotional and a kind of teary today and it was hmm. symmetry for me because the last time i saw him again emotional and teary in the visiting locker room at the palace of auburn hills because the pistons had just beaten the lakers and that was his last chance at a ring as, uh, as we go down memory lane here a little bit, just talking about that 4 team, um, I know you've been a, you know an overall NBA writer for a while, but as a beat writer, was that 4 team the craziest year you've ever you've ever had covering I mean, a team? I had a lot of crazy years because I had seven years of Shaq and Kobe and Phil and, and Phil Jackson for yeah. five of that, but seven years of Shaq and Kobe and, and all all the drama that went with them, um, and then I had nine years covering the Knicks where it's just pure dysfunction all yeah. the time. Um, but yeah, oh three oh four. Look, they they're. The Lakers had lost the year before, so the, the three-peat was over. Yeah. They, they, they got uh, knocked out. And so they're trying to build themselves back up. Some of their role players had gotten a little older. And here they had this grand opportunity. Carl Malone and Gary Payton are coming in yeah. tandem. Um, Carl decides to take less so that Gary Payton can get the mid-level exception, I think, if I'm remembering correctly. And they wanted to come in tandem. And now you're, you're grafting these two future Hall of Famers with the two other Hall of Famers and a Hall of Fame coach. And it's this super team. But... That was the summer that Kobe was the charged, trial. Yeah. was charged with sexual assault, and so you had that part of it. Kobe's coming and going during the course of the season to go to, to court dates in Colorado. Um, Gary Payton never really meshed with the triangle offense and Phil Jackson's philosophy. Shaq and Kobe are at their absolute you know, low point in terms of their relationship. Kobe's a pending free agent. He's threatening to leave. Shaq wants an extension that the team isn't giving him. He's pissy. There's just a lot going on. And Carl, and I reminded him of this when we talked a little bit ago, Carl Malone was the rock. He He's built like a rock, he, yeah. but he's still. He, still, my God. He looks like he could go out and drop 20 and 10 right now, guys. Incredible. Um, but he was the one holding it all together because everybody respected Carl. No one was going to mess with Carl. And when Kobe and Shaq are going at each other, Carl was the one I felt like was keeping the peace and was the voice of, of reason and the guy that everybody had to defer to, not on the court in terms of shots and everything. Carl, Carl actually sacrificed a lot as, uh, that, that season. But he was the one, I think, that it was kind of holding them together. And he has this freak accident. I think it was, uh, I hope I'm, I'm not remembering incorrectly here, I believe it was Scott Williams playing for the Suns, falls into Carl Malone near the sideline, buckles his knee. Carl, who's been indestructible yeah. for 18 years at that stage, um, Ends up with this massive, you know, major knee injury that knocks him out most of the season, and I, I really felt like that team. They had won like twenty-three of their first twenty-seven or some crazy number, and it just never was the same after that. And in the finals, I say to this day, no disrespect to that Pistons team. If Carmelone had been healthy, I think that might have been a much different outcome. So, Howard, we didn't talk to Kurt about this. We had uh, Dan Wykey on earlier, and he's fantastic. Dan's Great. the best. We really haven't talked about this. The assembled talent in the All-Star game this weekend, yeah. and I, I know that there are a lot of guys that didn't make the trip that have backed out because of injury or, or other issues. The assembled talent in this All-Star game, where does it compare in oh, man. the last 10, 15 years of All-Star talent? 
Uh, it feels like half of them have already been ruled out because of injury and replaced. Yeah. yeah. Um, that's a really interesting question. Like, I, I, I hate to do the thing on live radio where you say you're never supposed to say I don't know on yeah. live radio. Uh, that's you're all right. You're supposed to just, like, say it wing it. Um, it. I would actually have to, like, sit down and look and, and scan it all. But, I mean, I do think off the top of my head when you think about, you know, obviously LeBron James is still playing at an incredibly high level given where he is, and, and he's going to go down as one of the one to two greatest players of all time. Giannis is, you know, he's, they call him the freak for for a reason. Jokic is at is a, is a completely different uh, kind of player, right? Like, he's, he's, he's this evolved big man that we've never seen before. Luka, like, there are so many players that you would say are generational, right? Like, that's the, the highest praise you can heap on a player other than, you know, lock for the Hall of Fame is this is a generational talent. This is a guy we've never seen. We Maybe we saw some vague version of, there was a preview of this, but not this far developed. This, I mean, we're at a time when, listen, however many years ago, Showtime, Magic Johnson, he's a 6'8 point guard, right? Wow, look at that. What if you could always... Well, that's all we have now. <laughs> Luca, LeBron, I mean, Giannis can, can play that playmaker role. Even Kevin Durant, like, we don't think of him as a point forward, but Kevin Durant's a, a heck of a playmaker when he uh, has the ball in his hands. We just have so many guys who are this, you know, evolved version of the NBA, which I don't consider positionless, but just positionally fluid. Everybody from, you know, the 6-0 guys who have always been in the league all the way up through the 7-footers, not all of them, but a lot of them can do everything that a guard has traditionally done. And so I don't know how to rate this talented, the, the talent of this group versus previous All-Star games, but I, I can say, like, you look across those rosters and there's just a lot of generational talent and unique talent. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Were you caught off guard with the Kyrie trade, or did you get rumblings that was coming down? Um... Once Kyrie, I, guess, I guess Kyrie and Kevin Durant. We'll throw both of them in there together. Well, so, so Kyrie's trade request was kind of sudden. We should have seen it coming because his agent slash stepmom had told Chris Haynes of Turner Sports a week before, um, hey, uh, Kyrie's playing pretty well, and we're kind of hoping for an extension. But, hey, it's in the Nets ballpark. Yeah. It's, it's in their court. Well, that should have been the shot across the bow that we should have all seen and understood what it was. So we, I think we all kind of underestimated what that quote meant. So when he does ask for the trade, and, and, it, and it's truly about the extension, I just want to put this in context because I've, I've written this and I've said it a couple times, but I don't think people fully appreciate this. Kyrie Irving might be the first star in history to ask off of a team that actually had plausible championship hopes. I didn't think the Nets could win the championship because there's just too much volatility, mostly Kyrie's volatility. But the Nets were in a position to, to, con- to contend, yeah. and Kyrie blew it up. The Nets blew up a contender in midseason. I believe that is unprecedented in the history of the NBA. Um, so I, I was certainly surprised on some level, but then one thing I've always said was to me a, a, a given was that if Kyrie were ever traded or if Kyrie were just let go in free agency if, if they had kept him it was going to be the end for Kevin Durant too because they came there in tandem and once you don't have Kyrie 
even if Kevin Durant was fine with Kyrie parting ways, he would still need another star with him. He's at a, a, a you know, he's 34 years old and he's a, he's an Achilles patient. He, he needs another star with him. He can't carry it all himself anymore in the same way. So. I thought once Kyrie was gone, it was almost a given. I did not expect it to happen that quickly. Yeah. I will say that. I was very much caught off guard by the fact that the Nets could turn around and make two blockbuster trades that quickly. Credit to, to the front office. And, again, they also made a heck of a deal. Yeah. Um, you know, the uh, and the Kevin Durant thing, does the power... I mean, I, I guess nobody really separated themselves too much. It felt like Denver is the number one seed, but Hans made a good comparison. Denver kind of feels like the Jazz when they were the one seed a couple of years ago. I don't know how much fear they strike in a lot of people. Yeah. Uh, but does the power structure kind of shifted to Phoenix if Kevin Durant's healthy? So I have said I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm the pump the brakes guy. I'm the, like, hold yeah. on. I understand we're all, like, wowed by the idea of Kevin Durant with Devin Booker, with Chris Paul, with DeAndre Ayton and everything. But hold on. One, they've never played together. Uh, two, by the time Durant gets held, like, he's still, Durant hasn't played three on three or five on five. He hasn't done anything yet. So he, it's still a couple weeks probably. He may only get 18 to 20 games with the Suns before the playoffs. Yeah. That's not a long time to really establish chemistry and how you're going to work in the final minutes of games and everything else. You, there is a certain amount of that that's necessary, right? There's also the injury volatility. Kevin Durant could get hurt again. He's been hurt a lot the last few years. Chris Paul's always hurt. Chris Paul's up there in years. Devin Booker's been hurt this season, and he's the young one. Um, they lost a lot of depth in making that deal. They traded away Mikhail Bridges and Cam Johnson, two of their most important defenders and shooters. So it, it's not as simple as just throw these stars together and they're the favorite. They are a favorite, not the favorite. And that's partially some respect to the Denver Nuggets and the Memphis Grizzlies. The Clippers, who have pulled themselves together and, and are staying healthy, and if they're healthy, like why would we rule them out? They still have Kawhi Leonard and Paul George and a really uh, strong supporting cast, which they fortified at the trade deadline. Um, I'm not even ruling out the Warriors, by the way. Like I, I refuse to, to rule them out because they're the Warriors. Like I cannot. Steph will get healthy. Gary Payton II will get healthy, presumably. They might sign, they might sign somebody uh, out of the buyout market. I think it's a crowded field, and the Suns deserve to be right in the mix there in, this, in these conversations, but I can't just say, like, okay, now they're the runaway favorite. I'm going to throw a question at you that Dan Wykey threw at Scotty and I. A 1-8, let's say the Lakers make it that 8 seed. Yeah. 1-8, Denver, Lakers. Lakers obviously loaded now with Vanderbilt, one of our old guys, and uh, Malik Beasley, and, you know, they've got a couple of talent that they've brought from, from Utah. Throw those guys on the roster. General health across the board with Anthony Davis and LeBron. Who do you take wow. in that seven-game series? First of all, yeah. that's a must-watch oh, series. Yes. But who comes out of that as a 1-8? I mean, I, I, I don't want to I, – I can't jump that far ahead in my own head just because, like, we've seen exactly one game so far with LeBron and the new guys. Like, the new guys got there. They played a couple games. LeBron was still hurt. But – they looked pretty darn good the other night, didn't they? Yeah, very. So um, I have been one who, again, I have, I have a, a stubborn belief in in certain guys, certain stars, right? Like, I've always been on the never bet against LeBron bandwagon, never bet against Steph Curry bandwagon, and they've earned that. So I know there's all kinds of caveats with the Lakers, if LeBron's healthy, if Anthony Davis stays healthy. Anybody wants to throw cold water on the idea of the Lakers making a run, I'm not going to argue with you that strongly. But I do think 
we have the proof that a healthy LeBron, who's still playing at an all-NBA level, and a healthy Anthony Davis, who's still playing at a, at a very high level, surrounded by an actually competent supporting cast, which they did not have for three months, now they have? I, 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 that's dangerous. That is absolutely dangerous. You can't tell me. You give truth serum to the Denver Nuggets, the Memphis Grizzlies, the Phoenix Suns, whoever else might fall into, into a matchup with them, depending on how the brackets break. Nobody wants to see LeBron and Anthony Davis and, a, and, a, and a, again, a competent supporting cast now with guys who can actually shoot and defend, which they have. It's not perfect, but it's, it's far and away better than what they started the season with. And I would say if they had made a deal like this in October instead of February, they wouldn't be in the hole they're in now. You look at uh, the East, and obviously Boston's loaded, incredible amount of depth, and Milwaukee, you know, arguably has the, if not the best, the top three player in the league. How do you, how do you, uh, how do you rate the East right now? Um, I, you know, so that's the one funny thing about like the trade deadline, right? We all, all these fireworks, KD's yeah, yeah, traded, yeah. Kyrie's traded, all this other stuff. I feel like the overall uh, power structure of the league did not change. The Celtics and the Bucks were the two favorites before the trade deadline, and they're still the two favorites after it. Um, Now, could the Suns have something to say about that if they get to the finals and face one of them? Sure. But the Celtics and the Bucks are the two, you know, at least obviously they're the back-to-back Eastern Conference champions, right, and the Bucks, the NBA champions. Those teams are really solid, very sound. They've got a great balance of, you know, stars and role players, shooting, defense, versatility, being able to to trot out big lineups and smaller lineups and, and adjust to their opponents. Um, and they're established. Like, again, to me, you know, if I've learned nothing else in 26 years of covering this league, I do think chemistry and continuity matters a lot, especially the deeper you go in the playoffs and the tighter things get and the harder it gets. Um, and the Bucks and the Celtics have the muscle memory. Yeah. And so that matters, too. Plus, the Celtics are also just, like, stupid deep. Yeah. And when they're fully healthy, I just, I, I, you know, they're, they're a team that, that can knock out anyone. So I, I think those are the two favorites in the East. I think the Sixers will have to be reckoned with. I don't think it goes much deeper than that. One of those three teams comes out of the East. And, man, I, I've... You know, I listed all the teams in the West before who are among the potential favorites. It's, it's, it's way too many to even contemplate. So just talking about the Boston and, and talking a little bit about the East, I was thinking Danny Ainge moving here, taking over operations with the Jazz, the Rudy Gobert trade that it really made noise around the NBA. How much are the other 29 teams in the NBA watching what they're doing right now as they're bringing in these payloads and they're gathering up all of these first-round picks. How on the radar are the Jazz right now for future prospects? That's an interesting question. I mean, I think, you know, when a team is, is you know, annually winning, you know, 50-something games, you're thinking about them all the time because it's a team, especially if you're in their conference, you have to deal with. When a team is in whatever you want to call this, a rebuild, a retool, a reimagining, a reinvention, a re-something, um, I feel like they're a little off the radar, right? Like, I think people are probably keeping an eye on them, like, all right, what's Danny up to? What's, what are Danny and Justin up to, really? What, you know, what's their next move? Is this a long-term thing? Are they going to keep cashing out on guys and keep stockpiling? And what does that lead to, right? Um, but I think, like, the Nets are in that position now, too, because the Nets 
have a bunch of really, really good high-level players who are not stars, and they're not going to keep them all. And they've got a bunch of picks now from the Suns and the Sixers. And, like, so what are the, what are the Nets up to? What's Sean Marks up to? What's he going to do? How's he going to package those guys to get them their next star? And I think the Jazz are in that position, too. The Thunder are in that position where here they have Shea Gilgis-Alexander, who's making his all-star debut this weekend. And a bunch of other really good, interesting players, and Chet Holmgren still hasn't played yet. They're going to get another high pick, and they're still sitting on a boatload of picks from the Paul George trade. They're in a position to make some moves. So I think teams like that that have a stockpile of of picks and and interesting players who may not be a threat to you right now, but you're, you're keeping an eye on what their next move is. So, obviously, the Jazz gutted the roster a little bit at the trade deadline, and we all anticipated this team at the beginning of the year being the victor in sweepstakes, and obviously that's probably out of the uh, out of the realm of possibility. But given the roster right now, even though you do have an all-star in Larry Markkinen and, and you do have some good pieces with Walker Kessler and others, they're probably going to drop some games that they would have won earlier in the year with the previous roster. In that 5-8 to eight range where the Jazz could end up in the draft, is there still quality? I mean, we all talk about number one and number two, but what what are GMs thinking about this upcoming draft? Too soon for me to say, as, as a guy who's not a draft guy, yeah. um, like I, I barely pay attention to the draft guys until we get closer to you know lottery time and everything else. So I'm I'm probably the wrong one to ask, um, but. I have, I have, you know, the, the general buzz has been for a while that this is going to be a good draft. Mm-hmm. This is going to be a deep draft. Obviously, there's one massive prize at the top in Wembenyama and a, and a potentially incredible player in Scoot Henderson at number two. And then after that, you know, I, I, I we'll, we'll, we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. But listen, I think, I think they'll probably get a good player there. Uh, this is a good drafting front office. Um, this is a front office that has, you know, obviously gotten steals in the teens and the twenties in recent history so i you know wherever they fall in the in the order they'll they'll do fine what ends up being a better pick minnesota's or utah jazz first round pick <laughs> jazz obviously own them both yeah um i mean the jazz's own pick should probably be the better one obviously the timberwolves i mean getting conley is going to to be you know phenomenal for them i think like i think mike conley was the exact right guy for the timberwolves and good rapport with rudy too good rapport with rudy mm-hmm. but also just you know He's Mike Conley. He's a really smart, level-headed dude with, with high character, great communicator, natural leader, all the things you guys got to see here for years, all the things that the Memphis fans got to see for years. And when you're a team like the Timberwolves, that always feels like something's just a little bit off. Trading out D'Angelo Russell, who's sometimes the guy who's a little bit off, for Mike Conley, who's going to be the guy who kind of pulls everybody together, is uh, a, a much more dramatic move than it would look like on paper, given their skill sets or Conley's age. Yeah, they needed a, an adult in the room there. In, That's uh, another way of putting it. Yeah, sure. yeah. Mike's, Mike's one of them. Yeah. We're going to miss him here. Yeah, that was a tough trade. Well, Howard, we appreciate it. Thanks for coming by, man. Absolutely. It really means a lot. My pleasure, thanks, guys. Thanks, thanks for having us. Howard. Thank you. Jim Absolutely. Olson, president of the Jazz, will join us next. 97.5, the EKSL Sports Zone. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind 
only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen.